cheers to another episode of the Wine Notes Podcast. I'm your guide, AJ Weinzettel, on this journey of stories showcasing the people behind the wonderful world of wine, where we dive into conversations ranging from terroir, viticulture, to favorite music, superpowers, and more. Please enjoy this episode of the Wine Notes Podcast. Before we dive into this week's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Lytle Barnett for sponsoring the podcast. This is the final week of Lytle Barnett sponsoring the podcast, and I have to tell you a little bit about Andy Lytle. Whenever I bring Andy's name up in conversation, the first reaction out of everyone's mouth is, he is one of the nicest and most generous people around. And I have to say, I couldn't agree more. He has a heart of gold and is working his tail off to leave a legacy for his three kids who are everything to him. It is lovely to get behind a brand with a stellar product and the people behind it are equally stellar. Thank you again, Lytle Barnett, for these past weeks for sponsoring the podcast and allowing me the opportunity to tell a handful of your stories. And be sure to purchase your bottles of Lytle Barnett today by visiting their website at lytle-barnett.com. That is L-Y-T-L-E-B-A-R-N-E-T-T.com. And be sure to use a promo code of WineNotes, W-E-I-N-N-O-T-E-S, for 20% off. That is Lytle-Barnett.com and promo code WineNotes for 20% off until April 29th. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I always love soda. There's just an ambiance that's here and it's just, it's an absolute pleasure to be out here today. Um, I know the feeling I've been here for almost 14 years and it still feels amazing. So, yeah. I, I, um, is a real, um, something other factor that exists, uh, especially here on this property of mineral Springs. It, it is. Um, I brought a little, uh, a little bit of a blind. Is it okay if it's, I, it's a test, it's yeah. a small test, but you know, if you want to talk about it, you can, I, I never passed tests in the past, but, um, I'll do my best. How's that? Well, th th there's zero pressure. Yeah. There, there's no pass or fail here. What is it? It's these get degrees. Right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. All right. Wait a little bit here. Thank you. Of course. Uh, I was thinking about bringing, um, a different wine today because I thought it was such a unique wine but I never bring a wine that you have possibly made. Yeah. Okay. So well, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, that I was, could be embarrassing. It, it yeah. could have been, I was, it was the, the silver label, you know, that has, I don't know, it has like four or five different. Oh yeah. Silver, silver linings, silver linings. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, um, well, it's a really interesting wine is probably the best way to say it. It, it is. is, it is a very dynamic group of grapes. Uh, they come from one vineyard way out by Silverton, by Silver Falls, right. hence Silver Linings. Um, and the owners, um, Ken and Karen, um, have been longtime um, friends with, uh, with, with Tony, with myself, with the winery. And we've been buying the grapes uh, for quite a while now. I think the, I'm probably making this up, but I'm going to say maybe 2000, since 2012. Wow. Um, it's the highest elevation vineyard in the Willamette Valley. So that should definitely go on record. So wow. there's challenges that I, come with elevation. And I think it sits up at maybe almost 1600 feet. Wow. Not to mention it's, um, it's in the windward side of the foothills to the Cascades. So, uh, when we get half an inch of rain here, they get two. I, I can only imagine. Three. Yeah. So, um, Jeez. There's challenges that come with it, but there's amazing expression 
that also comes with it. It's, you know, it's kind of one of those things, nothing in this world, uh, nothing great comes easily. Right. And that is a great line. It's proof in the pudding. Oh my right gosh. There, yeah. So yeah. I'm yeah. glad you like it. Yes. I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, and starting off, I, I read your bio and there was one part in the bio where, um, you mentioned that you're a slow driver. And I just like, I was like, wow, because in this day and age, everybody's just moving a million miles a minute. And I know you're a native Oregonian, your big, you know, Oregon is like home base. Like, is that just part of being an Oregonian that I, you know, I didn't grow up in Oregon. Um, just being a my instincts say yes, but, okay. um, I don't know. I think okay. it's, um, I think it's, I think it's just comfortable. I think right. that maybe it's what it used to mean to be Oregonian. Obviously Oregon has changed a lot and changes yes. every day. Yes. Every, every place changes. Yes. But, uh, Oregon, which definitely was a, I would say probably, um, more consistently a slow driving state 20 years ago. I think we still exist. If you know what I mean by that. Um, <laughs> yes. And my family's lived in Oregon for a long time. So all the way back to my great, great grandfather and, uh, who I never met, but I will assume he was a slow driver if he had a vehicle. Right. Um, but it's also, you know, we're a product of who we're raised by and, um, my parents, my mother and my father, amazing, amazing people, um, never aggressive on the road. Wow. And we're very clear with me that it's, um, while there's extra risks that you take going fast, it's also a math exercise. You get to the same place at pretty much the same time, uh, yeah. especially if you're only driving 15 or 20 miles. So why be in a hurry? Why bring extra stress into your day? And if people want to drive faster, they can go around you. So yeah. I'm good going uh, 58, 58, 55 on the highway. Um, I'm good going. Sometimes I catch myself going a little slower than the speed sign says. Um, right. And if there's no cars behind me, honestly, like if I got nowhere to be, then just why not just cruise? No, it's, it's a good yeah. philosophy. It's a very good philosophy. Um, when I found out that you're in the army, you're in Iraq in like 2004. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was nice to hear. And the reason for that is I was in the air force from 93 days. Nice. Thanks for your service. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. Right back at you. Yeah. Um, I always feel weird when people tell me, thank you for your service. Because... I, I feel weird saying it too, but yeah. I think I actually really mean it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's, um, you know, it, during my time, I did some time in Kuwait, uh, in, in Egypt, but uh, holy cow, you're in Iraq. And it just, I can only imagine what that was like. Um, yeah, it was an adventure. And yeah, um, yeah I joined the military in 2000, uh, December of 2000, um, my 18th birthday. And, right. um, my dad is a CPA. My mom also was a CPA, more, uh, an entrepreneur, um, and, um, owns a women, women's retail clothing store. And, um, I love my parents, but I didn't really, I was telling you earlier, I don't do good, like standing still or sitting down for long periods of time. Right. I need to do things. I need to move my hands. I need to feel like I'm accomplishing something and I love adventure. And, um, I knew for a while that I needed, uh, a certain amount of adventure in my life. And that sounded appealing to me. Um, and you know, I'm sure you remember when you joined the air force, you don't really know what 
you're getting yourself into. No. And um, I'll be completely honest, neither did I, not even close. Right. And um, I went to MEPS, the military um, in processing, essentially, here yep. in Portland, and was put on a plane, you know, uh, a few days later, flown to uh, Georgia and um, got on a bus um, from Atlanta and drove south to Fort Benning. Um, I didn't know what Fort Benning was, nor even where it was. <laughs> and um, I didn't really know what I'd signed up for until I looked out the window and um, on my left hand side, it said, you know, Fort Benning, Georgia, home of the infantry. And I just looked and uh, sort of said to myself, I guess I'm in the infantry now. <laughs> and But I had no idea I was in the right. infantry it's... up until that point. So um, I entered into a very interesting world. And I think interesting is probably the best way to say it is um, it's clearly made me who I am. It's a significant part of, of how I got here, you know, right. my life story. Um, people often ask, would you do it again? Absolutely. Oh yeah. I wouldn't change anything. Um, I, um, I enjoy the fact that I got a glimpse, uh, more than a glimpse into that world. Um, I have a lot of respect for it. It, um, it brought me a lot of respect for life that I think I, I didn't have uh, up until that point. Um, as you, I'm sure you remember, oh, yeah. Yeah. You're, um, <clears throat> this is even before going to Iraq, but you know when you're in basic training, you're um, introduced to people from all over the United States, from every walk of life. All over. Every single one of them yep. is there. The most intelligent people are there, and the very opposite people are there too. Right. Um, and uh, it broadens your perspective. Um, fast forward to 2003, four, it's a little bit of a blur. That's a long time ago. It was 2004. we I was flown to Kuwait, um, early in 2004 in March right. or February, something like that. Um, so pretty, pretty early in the, the era of the, um, Iraq war, whatever we're calling it, operation Iraqi freedom. It's probably right. the technical term. Um, I was a young kid. I mean, honestly, it was, um, was 21 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, what an adventure I'd found oh, myself in. It was crazy. Yeah. We spent a month in Kuwait, um, preparing, yeah. um, preparing to move to Iraq and, uh, not knowing what, uh, lies ahead on that road. And that was, I can still remember it almost every moment, maybe not every moment in Kuwait, but every moment on that 500 mile journey, um, from whatever base we were on in Kuwait, uh, to into Baghdad. And yeah. we'll never forget the smell of entering Baghdad. But along the way, um, honestly, I saw just amazing things. I saw absolutely, um, incredible things that again, if had, I never done that, I never would have seen. I saw people existing. Just yeah. existing, just living their life, just like I was living my life. Yeah. And I immediately said, wow, these are human beings, just like I'm a human being. And they're just existing. They're here on earth. They just were given um, a different start and a different journey. And it gave me, uh, immediately gave me a really profound respect for human life um, that only got more and more severe as um, time went on in Baghdad as Baghdad was a very violent place, uh, back in 2004, there were, uh, yeah. constantly explosions and constant gunshots and, um, a lot of excitement going on. Um, and a lot of but fear too, I'm sure. Yeah, there was, there was, um, 
I wasn't necessarily a fearful person, um, cautious for sure. Right. Um, I was, I was looking for excitement and I found myself in the middle of a pretty good amount of it. And, um, but again, through all of, all of that patrolling, again, I was an infantry soldier. So patrolling, um, around, uh, Baghdad, mostly Southern Baghdad, uh, back in 2004, um, gave me just an amazing perspective of human life and yeah. seeing these people, same thing, just, uh, Baghdad's a huge city huge it's 9 million people or something like that and that's crazy it could be very wrong but i think it's very big right um but there's there's a lot of people there and they're they just want to live life just like i want to live life and um i um gained a really good appreciation for the fact that hey i'm in their uh territory and yeah. i have the potential to make their life more difficult and um i didn't want that for them and so I just um, maintained um, an air of respect the whole time and uh, was treated really nicely because of that. And I think I was blessed with um, everybody in my platoon, uh, for the most part, um, kind of had that same respect for human life. And that's not always the case in the military, but no. um, I think I, um, I was lucky and um, we received a lot of respect back from the Iraqi people. And, um, again, I can still picture a lot of their faces today, uh, for good reasons. Yeah, no, I, I can only yeah. imagine. Um, I remember, you know, when I was in Kuwait, it was after, uh, Iraq had, you know, come in and, you know, we had, uh, liberated Kuwait. And so this was just, uh, Operation Desert Watch, I believe is what it was. Uh, <clears throat> And just to see the, the you know, the Kuwait City in ruins and ruins at different parts, and it was it was eye opening to to say the least. Yeah, I think um, I know exactly what you're talking about. Not with Kuwait City, but with Baghdad. And um, what a beautiful city that must have been. It yeah. still was a beautiful city. Um, amazingly old, amazing architecture, uh, amazing people. Yeah. Um, so many times when we were patrolling around, um, I wanted to stop at all the markets, but knew, you know, it was, uh, it was too dangerous. We right. couldn't, but watching them, uh, out my window going, wow, look at all these amazing people selling things. Like how incredible would it be to just be welcomed there, you know, yeah. to not have to, to be, um, an outsider. And, um, uh, I hope someday to be able to go back. I really do. It might sound strange, but no. I would absolutely love and cherish the opportunity to go back to Baghdad in particular and um, under friendly terms. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. No body yeah. armor, no assault rifle, <laughs> um, yes. no helmet, just, right. um, um, just looking for, again, a different kind of adventure this time. Yeah. And in the terms of adventure, uh, it kind of, I don't know from what I can tell that kind of puts you on the winemaking uh, path a little bit, you know, with the care package that you got from a mysterious person uh, because you just got random uh, care packages. And in one of the care packages was a book. Oh, you've got the book. I've yeah, got the book. The one right there. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, from Vines to Wines by Jeff Cox. This is yeah. this is the one. This one clearly hasn't been to Baghdad because the pages aren't falling out. It, exactly, it's a little bit warm there. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, thanks thanks to Amazon that they. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Thanks yeah. for bringing that. That's, yeah, you're um, welcome. I actually still have this book. Um, 
I don't know if it's the actual one I brought from Baghdad. I think I've actually been given this a couple times. Oh, okay. Apart from today. Right. Um, but that's a fantastic book. I mean, this literally was my, um, this was the genesis of me getting into the wine industry and whoever sent it to me, like, you know, thank you. Right. Whoever they are. Um, I, I don't know who they are and, um, you're right. I, you know, you receive care packages, um, thankfully all the time and which, which are incredible people out there are taking time out of their day. And these are people, I don't even know who they are right. um, to put together, um, some niceties, you know, some candy, um, some books, usually they're romance novels, right. Or, or socks with the stitching socks on it. with the stinking stitching <laughs> right on the, on the toes, you know, and who wears those socks? I mean, somebody's wearing those, somebody, socks, yeah. not, not this guy. No. Um, and nasal spray, they love to send you nasal spray, but, um, and, and part of that is, is, you know, where they're sending them to me, but they don't know where I'm at. The military is not willing to tell anybody where oh. a soldier is that's, right, that's right. classified. So they're sending it to the army and the army somehow gets it out to the fields. Um, but that, yeah, that book, uh, that book ended up in my hands pretty early on in 2004. Um, and, um, I'm very thankful for whoever that person is. I'd really like to tell that person, thank you. Um, I've asked my parents if it was them, they don't think it was, but you know, they have the same, I got right. my memory from them. So, right. which is that whole, uh, <laughs> can't remember shit. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, whoever had the idea of putting that book uh, in a care package made an incredible contribution to my life and uh, enabled me for some amazing change. And um, I, I joined the military willingly, obviously, as everybody does, at least most everybody does in, uh, in this country. Um, yes, I would do it again, but I was very confident that I did not want to stay in the military. Right. Um, I had one of the, what I would call, uh, I was an ambitious person and I wanted, um, I wanted promotion quickly and, um, I'll be even looking back on it. Um, they missed their opportunity, the military, and I'm not the only one that has that same story and the military is huge, you know? Oh yeah. Um, but they missed their opportunity. Um, but I'm glad they did because if it wasn't, if they would have continued to promote me at the rate that um, I thought would have been more appropriate, I wouldn't probably wouldn't be here. And um, I enjoy making wine way more Ugh. than um, standing in the streets of Baghdad um, wearing, you know, 60 to 70 pounds of gear. Right. Well, sweat, sweating. Right. And, and, and I have to say, I'm, yeah. I'm grateful that you're making wine instead of, you know, wearing 60 or 70 pounds of gear as well, because your wines are gorgeous. Well, thank you very much. Um, again, I think it's, um, well, I maybe didn't have the greatest time in the army. Um, had I not done that, I wouldn't be here. Um, yeah. when I, when I got out of the military, this was in 2000 and I think it was officially out in 2006. Um, I got back from Baghdad in 2005. So I think I still had a year, um, right. or so under my contract. Um, I was a pretty troubled individual. Um, that's a pretty rough, it's pretty rough going from imminent danger every day, every second of your life to live in the United States again, where, um, there isn't that. Right. And, um, human beings are survivors, myself included. And, um, you figure out how to survive in a very hostile environment, but the opposite 
you know, unfiguring out or um, refiguring out how to live in a country or an area where there isn't that is really, really challenging. And um, I, I can't properly put that in words, what it feels like to, we call it PTSD, but um, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot more than four, four letters uh, or I hope that's four letters. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's a lot more than that. And it was, uh, it was really challenging. And I was, I lived in the pit of despair for a long time and I was, a uh, not a, a productive member of society because I couldn't be. And, um, wine, I think saved me. Wine gave me purpose. It also gave me, um, it gave me an outlet, someplace to sort of channel those demons. And, um, it's amazing that this was probably the first time in my life I've truly ever been an artist. I've really never been, I've always been creative inside of my head, but never in material. Right. And this was, this worked. And it's kind of just that it it just, it really worked and, um, took me a little bit by surprise, but pleasantly. So, um, I'm very, very thankful to this day that I am I'm able to make the kind of wines that I'm able to make. I think that's part of its luck, part of its the journey. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it, if I hadn't uh, if I hadn't seen and smelled what the pit of despair looks like, right. um, I probably wouldn't appreciate this as much. Yeah. Well, and you know, it also your your hard work and your work ethic you know, goes into it and, you know, to work those demons out and just, I want to say blood, sweat and tears, like during harvest. I mean, that's, that's, that has to just let your body just work through that yeah, emotionally and physically. It's some of the most amazing time. I mean, harvest is, I'm sure I'm not the per- first person to say this, but harvest is, it's beyond special. Um, it is so much work that you have to rely, you're forced to rely upon your instincts more than you even understand. And that's when you find out if you're any good. Right. Um, there's so many decisions to be made. There's so much, so many hours to work. There's so much dedication to either be a part of or not to be a part of. Um, I, I definitely think, you know, again, my, um, my training in the military for my work ethic, my parents as well. My parents were, are probably the hardest people, hardest working people I've ever seen, uh, outside of the military, military people have a different, they're, they actually are built different. Um, yeah. and, um, I, I've, I, I should tell them, thank you. I haven't, this is my opportunity. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But they, um, they, they took a, you know, a, a young, a young man and, and turned me into, uh, an actual adult, you know, um, at the time I was a soldier, but, um, yeah, they really instilled what it truly means to, to work hard. Yeah. And, um, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Um, I don't work as hard as I used to, um, at least not physically. Um, I have so much more of my job is, um, is, is mental, you know, is, um, again, trying to plan out a whole year, trying to think conceptually, uh, you know, what, what wines are going to work together and think outside of the box. And I'm, I'm still, again, I'm very blessed that I still get to, to work with my hands. Um, I added sulfur to barrels all last week while the, while I, I had the bottling line up and running, which was, um, that might sound boring. It was amazing. 
absolutely amazing. <laughs> Bat Batchinaging barrels and right. getting a sweat going. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. So, right. um, yeah, good work ethic. Um, again, sitting still is, is hard for me. Um, you, I'm, you probably see I'm moving around in my chair a lot, but, um, I'm just the type of person that, um, always feels like I could be making progress on something and, um, winemaking, it gives me that it literally satisfies that scratch. I'm able to scratch that itch. Yeah, no. And it's, it is absolutely amazing. And, uh, I assume when you got out of the, out of the army, uh, you had the GI bill and thankfully, yes. yeah. And you ended up, you know, following in your, uh, your granddad's footsteps and your mom's footsteps by going to Washington state. Yeah. Go kooks. Yeah. Um, yeah. My grandfather, um, went to Washington state after world war two. Yeah. And, um, it was probably a different place then, but, um, uh, he, um, he started that tradition and then my mother went there. I think Mount St. Helens erupted while she was there. Um, my brother also went there. My brother played golf for Washington state. We actually graduated in the same year. He's uh -huh. three or so years younger than me, but because of, um, my time in the, the military, obviously delayed right, my entrance right. into, um, into college, which was for the best for sure. Yeah. Um, but that was great. We got to walk together. Um, amazing. it was, it was excellent. It was yeah. fantastic. And Washington state is a, there's a great, it's a great place. I, I hope my kids, um, want to go there. Um, it's a really beautiful environment. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Um, there's, there's wheat fields. Oh, I, I can imagine. Yeah. But it's, but it's great for that is there's, um, there's nowhere to go. And so you're, everybody is forced to stay on campus. And so then you are forced to make new friends and new interactions and see people again, like the military from all over the place. Yeah. And, um, because you're forced to see everybody, everyone's quite friendly to each other. And I think that's a pretty magical situation. It yeah. Um, yeah. Washington state didn't have a, um, necessarily a viticulture and enology degree at the time. It was sort of, um, a burgeoning, uh, study. So I studied horticulture with a, um, specialization in viticulture and enology, which, nice. um, again, I'm, I, I'm, I love that. I love that I got to do both. Um, but we shouldn't, you know, I, I, I tell people this often is winemaking is not something you learn in school. No, it, it's, it's, a, um, it's, it's far too intricate, but it's great to learn the science behind it. And I'm very thankful that I at least have, um, a decent understanding of organic chemistry. Um, and that helps me be, I think a more consistently, uh, great artist. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I would agree with you. I mean, there's so much to be learned, you know, <clears throat> from the books, but once you actually get your hands on, it's, there's so much more. And, uh, a couple of weeks ago I interviewed, uh, Kenny from Arabolis. And so he and his wife actually graduated from Washington state as well. And he, uh, his uh, dissertation was on studying the different, uh, sh types of sugars that it has the, the effects that different sugars have on sparkling. Mm. And it was, you know, just to be able to talk with two different people in like the span of a month that went to the same place, I, I thought was pretty, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I loved, I loved living in, in Pullman, you know, I, uh, I have, I've had a, a number of sort of, um, 
fortuitous uh, moments in my life. And, and that was one of them, you know, going to Washington State. Another one happened while I was at Washington State I, um, because of my brother. Um, he, I don't remember the exact uh, events, but because of him, um, I was introduced to a local winemaker who has a winery down in Clarkston, which is about 30 miles south, pretty doable. Right. And um, the gentleman's name is Wick, uh, Rick Wassum. He's a lovely, lovely person. Um, he and a couple partners own a winery in Clarkston called Basalt Cellars. And they uh, were nice enough to just invite me down to essentially come hang out. Um, I told him I was, you know, studying horticulture and viticulture and knology at Washington State. And he basically said, if you want to come around and, you know, just hang out and um, help us make wine, you you should. And I said, right. how, how does tomorrow sound? And, Sign me up. Uh, he's uh, probably took him a little bit off guard, but that's just kind of the way I am. And, uh, to his absolute credit, he said, that's fantastic. Right. Um, he didn't pay me anything. Um, I wasn't asking for anything either. All I wanted was knowledge. I was very, very hungry individual for knowledge. And, um, that snowballed into just this amazing opportunity. I, um, went down for a couple of days, a couple of days in a row and just helped them squish grapes, do punch downs. I didn't know what a punch down was at the time. I found out yeah. punching down Cabernet Sauvignon is uh, rather difficult. <laughs> uh, scrapes are very, very thick. Nothing like what we do with Pinot here. Yeah. Um, and after probably a week, he kind of pulled me aside and he's just like, you know, it's great that you're coming down here, but I think we need to start paying you. And I just said, oh, really? Why? He's like, well, then you could come every single day. And, you know, we'd have a, an, an obligation. I just said, that would be a fantastic deal. Like, if you pay me, I'll come here um, every single day that you want me here. Right. And um, he hired me on as a, essentially a seller hand, if at best. Right. Um, I was willing to do whatever whatever he asked. I didn't, I didn't care. Um, um, I, I'm trying to think how long I worked for him. I probably worked for him for over a year. Um, off and on, you know, um, sometimes full-time, sometimes part-time, depending on what was going on. It's a small winery, but it gave me the most amazing opportunity to go to school from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m., drive to Clarkston. I'd get there. Fruit would just be showing up as you know, kind of the nearest grapes to there, probably three hours away. At least they were at the time. Right, right. And... I would help with the offload of the grapes and we'd start processing them and I'd work till seven or 8 PM at night, drive back to Pullman and do it all over in the morning uh, or the next day. Right, right. And it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And that's when I really knew like, Oh, I really want to make, I want to make wine before that. I was, I was um, thinking I wanted to specialize more in growing grapes as plant science is the first area of education that's ever actually interested me. It's the first time I've ever actually gotten A's in school um, right. that I actually, it made me want to try. I loved, uh, I loved plant science. I loved horticulture. It, it finally, something came easy to me. Right. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, you know, would really love to um, spend most of my time with the grapes, you know, with the vines. And um, I still do. And, and I'm afforded um, that opportunity, not, I don't work with the vines on a, on a daily basis, but I get to, I get to have purview over, um, the management of our vines. Right. Um, and so basalt sellers was amazing. Um, I 
as I was approaching graduation, I decided obviously I needed to go uh, do some internships. And it was um, offered an exchange through Washington State with a um, uh, university in Toulouse, France, uh, called Pure Pond. Okay. And um, I went over to France for a couple months um, and got to live with a family in Bordeaux in 2006. And um, that was really the actual uh sort of trigger point, like where I really switched from saying, I want to grow grapes to I want to make wine and, uh, living with the family again, didn't get paid anything. Wasn't asking for anything other than knowledge. Right. Um, I, I'm sure I was annoying to them because I was constantly like, I wanted to uh, give me more, give me more, give me more. I want to do this. I wanted, they had me labeling, which I recognize now labeling is very important, but I wanted things that were, I wanted to, you know, to be able to bite into the meat of it. Of uh, course. I wanted right. to pull leaves in the vineyard. I wanted to move wine, um, which those are important too, but apparently you have to put a label on a bottle in order to be able to sell it. Apparently. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, going over and living with uh, uh, Chateau Kentonoc, the Rose Gums, um, just outside of uh, um, Centimillion and uh, Liborne. That really, um, I caught the bug, the winemaking bug. Right. And I just said, oh no, I want to. I want to, I want to grow grapes too, but I want to make wine. I want to be the person. I want to be the artist in charge of uh, creating this amazing. Um, drink yeah um and i've never looked back and that's it's i can only imagine and then like you came back to oregon you were working for uh drew voigt at uh at shea for a little bit yeah uh and then i think you were at you know when you went to new C uh new zealand and then when you came back you had the opportunity to work uh harvest with tony i'm curious when tony uh, approached you for harvest. Did you know that Tony was the man, the myth, the legend at that point? I surely didn't, but, um, <laughs> it's, um, I, it's probably for the best. Um, I figured out pretty quickly. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and, and drew, um, again, very fortuitous moment. I've never been a lucky person, but, um, I suppose everyone has their, their time when luck is on their side. And, um, Drew, I worked for Harvest for Drew. I went to New Zealand, uh, which he introduced me to a winemaker by the name of Jen Parr, um, who um, is now the winemaker at Valley, makes some of the best uh, wines in Central Otago, incredible wines. Um, so I went and worked for her and came back. And as I stepped off the plane in 2009, this was in 2009, and turned my American cell phone on for the first time, uh, in four months, the battery was, was dead. Um, and Drew had actually, um, just moments before called me and left me a voicemail and basically just said, Hey, Chris, um, it's true. You know, um, I was whatever at the Starbucks in McMinnville and ran into blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and they're looking for someone for harvest. Give me a call as soon as you get this. And so I, and again, I just turned my phone on. So I called them with no battery life left. And I just said, Hey, I'm in San Francisco. Like I just got your voicemail. I'll call you as soon as I'm in Oregon. I'll be there in a couple hours. And, um, and I did. And so we met up, um, out down at chapters in, uh, mm -hmm. Newburgh. Oh, yeah, Newburgh yeah. was, was a very quiet town at that point. 
And, um, but we chapters was still there. So we grabbed a coffee and he gave me, um, somebody's phone number. Again, I didn't know who this name belonged to. Right. And, um, he just said, Hey, he's expecting your phone call. Um, and so we left and I, um, I called him and again, Drew probably told me who this person was, but clearly I wasn't, uh, listening very well or it just didn't register. Right. I don't, you know, I don't know. Just, I was excited. Let's right. just say that I was very excited. Cause, um, I really, I was begging, I was talking to God a lot, uh, saying, I give me a chance. Like, just right. let me, let me get a full-time job somewhere and, and show people how dedicated I can be. Um, and so I was pretty excited that, you know, maybe this was an opportunity, you know, maybe. Right. Um, and so I called the phone number and, um, it wasn't actually, again, this was a while ago. I don't think I spoke with Tony. I think I spoke with the former winemaker, James Cahill. And, um, he basically said, you know, yeah, we're looking for somebody, you know, why don't you come on out and, um, and you know, we'll talk. And I just right. said, great, I can be there. And, 15 minutes. So, uh, and again, I think he was a little surprised and, uh, to his credit, he's like, okay, great. So I drove out here, um, kind of where we're, I'm sitting today, although this was outside at that point, but we met pretty much right out there in the, in the, um, the driveway. And, um, we spoke for about 15 minutes and he basically said, well, why don't you come back tomorrow and you can meet Tony. Right. And, um, Fast forward to that, that point in time, Tony, I drove up to the same spot and Tony Soder was there and Tony introduced himself and it was just Tony and I, and he's like, well, why don't we just take a walk and we'll walk up, you know, to the top of the hill, to the tasting room, the time that was his residence. And that was the first time I actually got a glimpse of Mineral Springs Vineyard. And there was an aha moment. Um, I knew I was here to talk about a job, but I didn't know how amazing of a vineyard and place this was until I saw the vines and even just seeing them at a distance, I was just had that sort of internal moment where I said, wow, this isn't, this isn't just any opportunity. Like that's an incredible looking vineyard. And, um, I think I understood the sort of the, um, the seriousness of the situation. Um, Tony offered me three months of work. And, um, basically said, you know, after three months, you can work harvest for us. I think it was more like four months, but basically start now, help us through bottling, work harvest. Um, after harvest, we will, we'll talk. Right. If we think you've done a good job and you have a, you know, the type of personality that'll fit in with us, you know, then, may, you know, maybe we will find a job for you. And if not, you know, we'll just, we'll peacefully go our, our separate ways. And I just said, that sounds like a deal. And, um, it was a blur of four months. <laughs> it was a blur. I remember very little of it, actually. Um, I remember feeling like a chicken with its head cut off, just inundated by so much new knowledge, so much, um, so many new things to understand, to master. And it's just, it was this, again, a moment of like clarity, um, that wasn't clear at all, but the clarity was there is so much to winemaking oh, yeah. that nobody, nobody understands. No, and, and no, they, they don't. And I read a, um, a book, I think it's called a, a vineyard in Napa and it's about Schaefer vineyards. Mm. And it talked about how Tony came in 
and, you know, kind of help them with their vineyard and their vines and, you know, looking at, you know, telling them, let's go out to the vines and see what the vines are telling us, you know, and then, you know, got, you know, obviously, you know, help them bring their vines back up to life and, and whatnot. Um, and I'm sure, uh, you know, being out here at Soder, you know, with the uh, biodynamic farming, the time that you've been here, I'm sure that you've learned tremendous amounts of biodynamic farming. But I'm, I'm curious, like when you started and now, what is what has changed in the world of biodynamics that that you that you're taking taking on? Um, everything, absolutely everything has changed um, for the better. Right. And, um, no, it's, it's, um, I think again, that's part of what I feel so fortunate is I started in 2009. Thankfully after the four months, he didn't fire me. Um, <laughs> he, um, gave me the very luxurious title of seller master, which I probably didn't deserve, but it was a slow time in Oregon, not like it is now. Right. Um, and, um, we were farming, um, through, through live low, low input viticulture and enology, uh, right. which is, which is a good step in, uh, a better direction away from sort of traditional conventional farming, but, um, it's still a giant leap away from biodynamic farming. Mm -hmm. Um, Tony and Michelle, um, um, both had a very large interest in organics and Michelle particularly in biodynamics. And that was just a word to me. I didn't know what that meant. Um, and wouldn't probably for a couple years and wouldn't really understand it for many more years after that is again, it's a, it's a, it's a lot to learn. It's a lot to understand. There's a lot that is, um, not definable and that's hard for people. Yeah. It's not hard for me, but it's hard for people to, to not have a definition for something and, and, um, if for it still be a legitimate thing. Um, so it's been a pretty amazing transition, you know, again, watching the vineyard, um, you know, have roundup used on it back in the day going, this doesn't feel right. And right. again, I eat a lot of grapes. A lot is an understatement of the year. I eat a right. lot of grapes and to have that thought of, well, I'm eating something that probably has some roundup in it, you know, yeah. um, and, and, and other things too, um, others, you know, um, synthetics and, in 2013, we made the transition. We hired a new vineyard manager who had a much greater perspective on organic and biodynamic farming. Um, this was uh, Nadine, uh, Nadine Liu uh, or Basil. Um, and she really shepherded us into that, this new realm that we exist in. You know, it takes three, three years to transition, rightfully so. Um, we immediately stopped using any Roundup. Uh, we weren't using a lot of Roundup, I should say, but we used it right. on occasion. It was a crutch. And you have to take away the crutches. And it sounds harder than it really is. Um, and it's, it's, not, it's not easy, but it's, it's not that challenging. The, the biggest key to first organics and to biodynamics is you just have to be willing to be more involved. And if you're someone like myself who refuses to do anything half-assed, that's not that challenging. I want to be involved. I right. love being involved. Um, but it does force you 
to walk your vines more. Maybe it enables you. Um, but if you want to make better wines, the number one way to do it is to grow better grapes. Exactly. They have more personality. Right. And, um, I was not, I'll be honest, I was not a believer in biodynamics. Once, you know, once I'd heard that word again, it was just a word. I looked it up. What is it? I read a couple books and, um, to no credit to those books. Like they were, they, well, they just didn't do a very good job. It was, it was fairy dust and, and no one was living in, in the vineyard. And, right. um, it was, there was too much, um, mystery and too much, uh, magic right, to true. it. And, um, it, it might be magic, but not, not that kind of magic. It's the kind of magic that, um, it does, it does really exist. Um, but there's no hocus pocus to it, if you know what I mean. I right, know that's yeah. a little ambiguous there, but um, there's certain things that exist outside of the definition or understanding of just strict sciences, and that doesn't mean um, that they're not legitimate. It, biodynamics is a very legitimate practice that, um, in my experience here, I've seen a greater um, personality emerge from the vines. We've it's like taking away irrigation from your vines saying it's time for these vines just to actually live in this ground and express the land. So the number right. one thing you can do is just to not irrigate them if you can. Right. Um, not every area, um, is set up for that. I'm thankful that Oregon, Willamette Valley very much is, we have plenty of rainfall and taking away irrigation from the vines, um, really allows your vines to express your ground. Right. They have to struggle and dig deep and Absolutely. get that water. Yeah. And part of that struggle is part of where that greatness comes from. Again, it's nothing great in this world comes easily. No. I mean, and even us as human beings, if we don't struggle, we're yeah. being, we don't have a whole lot of personality ourselves. Totally agree. Couldn't agree more. Um, and, you know, as grape growers, winemakers, we, we struggle right along with the vines. Um, maybe in slightly different ways. I can get a drink of water, but, uh, the mental struggle and the physical struggle, it's, it's real. It's there. Yeah. And, um, when you cross that threshold into organics and biodynamics, we did, we did both at the same time. We just said, we're not gonna, we don't need an intermediate, inter, intermediate, uh, states of just organics. We want to go to biodynamics immediately. Um, it forced us to struggle more too, but it enabled us to, create a greater connection with our, um, with where we live, with where we grow grapes. Yeah. Um, I don't physically live here on site, but it sure feels like it's, this is, this is, this is my home. This is my temple. And, um, I, it's my safe place. I love being here. And since we moved to biodynamics, it feels even better. Um, when I eat the grapes, you know, I make up my picking decisions off of eating grapes and, um, when I'm eating grapes, knowing that there isn't, uh, just knowing that I don't have to worry about what's going into my body, right? That I'm not ingesting something that um, that's synthetic. That I'm not ingesting uh, again Roundup or something like that. Um, it makes a world of difference to me. My body feels better for it, and um, that's. I think that's what it's all about. And I and I agree. And you know, you're talking about this place. I remember. The first time I visited, it's, I mean, it was just just gorgeous. Um, I ended up doing um, uh, I can't think of the experience now, but the the, the food tasting. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. And they poured uh, 
the Brut Rosé as the, as the first wine, and they called it Soder Pop. And I will never forget that, uh, you know, that they called it Soder Pop. Do you, do you have any, any idea how, like, the Brut Rosé ended up getting nicknamed Soder Pop? That name existed before my time, and, oh, I'm, wow. and I'm working on 14 years here. Right. So um, I, don't, I don't fully understand the origins of that. Okay. Um, we'd have to ask someone like Courtney Cunningham, who, um, who worked here before me. She worked here. We, we worked here together. Right. Um, she ran the tasting room. Okay. And I think she was employee number three. I think I'm employee number four at this place. I think now we have, I don't know, 40 or more employees. But um, yeah. Um, that would be a better question for her, okay. uh, nice. but it's definitely an affectionate term. And, um, when I hear people say it, there's almost this understanding of, Oh, you know, something that some people don't know. And it always makes me smile on the inside hearing that. Yeah. Well, it, it, it is amazing. Just, uh, I don't know. Just when, when you drive up that hill, it's just. Even when I drove up today, I'm like, oh, it's just, an amazing place. It is. Um, I have just recently started getting into Instagram, um, maybe a year ago or so. And so I've been doing a couple of videos. Uh, I'm not very good at it. And I'm mostly, I, I take a lot of videos and they never, ever show up on there because I lose interest. <laughs> um, I'm too tired at night, but I put together a couple of videos of just driving up the driveway just so people can see what I have seen for the last Again, over 13 years, every single day is amazing. It is. It's, it's incredible. I love driving up our driveway. It's a long driveway, um, but you get to meander through these amazing oak trees that have these, the most gnarled branches. Um, these trees are hundreds of years old and um, they might be gnarled, but they feel like they're kind of giving you a hug, like welcoming you to the place. Yeah. They're both like a guardian for the place, but also like a soft pillow for, for when you get here. Yeah. And, um, it's an incredible, incredible driveway and it leads, um, it leads into just more amazingness. You drive to the winery and you're like, wow, it's a, you know, barn built in the 1930s. that's still standing and we've improved it a little bit to help it stand up. Yeah. Uh, use it. We use it as a winery. It has its own personality. Um, we have this amazing winery with, with two caves, you know, so the barrels can, um, rest underground. We don't have to, we don't have to cool them. We don't have to heat them. Right. Um, and then there's the vineyard and the vineyard is, um, well, I generally fail with, uh, with descriptions of the vineyard. It's, it's sort of transcends beyond, um, any reasonable description, I think. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, so underneath those caves, is that where you had all the, the reserve wine kind yeah. of hidden away from, from Tony when he said, hey, we should, we should start a reserve sparkling program? I still feel a little sheepish about it, but um, only a little bit. <laughs> uh, at the time, it was, you know, it was, um, I very well knew I was doing something that was maybe a little taboo. And I only say taboo is that I, I, I was, I was, um, keeping wines back without telling anybody, uh, right. they were still in the inventory just to be completely clear. And the oh. TTB would not be mad at me. We right. were, we, we paid tax on all of them eventually. Um, but, um, I was the only one looking at the inventory in those days. And so, um, they were able to stay sort of under the radar. Um, right. 
And it was just a fascination. Honestly, again, the, the genesis of that is someone kind of told me you can't do this. And, um, it's my least favorite word in the English language is the word can't. I'm, I'm right there with and you. Anytime someone says you can't, it just makes me want to do it. Yep. And someone said you can't or you shouldn't. I don't remember what the exact wording was. You know, you, you shouldn't, you can't put Pinot, base wine Pinot through malolactic. That's where it started. And I'm just like, okay, but I want to know why. Right. Why can't you? Because it doesn't feel like you can't. My intuition, I don't see any red flags going up. No one's up there saying, yeah, that clearly, you know, wouldn't work. Um, so 2011 actually gave me that opportunity. 2011 was the second cool vintage in a row. Uh, and we're talking really cool and really late and not cool. Like where is cool sunglasses? Cool. Like a lack of sunshine. Right. Um, and it was a pretty challenging year. Um, 2010 was the first one. We rolled the dice and got away with it in 2010. We harvested at the end of October. 2011 presented the same thing, but even less temperature and a bigger crop, a much bigger crop. And so um, Tony, Tony deserves absolute credit here, but he decided uh, very intelligently to um, hedge his bets, hedge our bets. Right. And we would make, he told me, we're going to make a lot more sparkling wine than we otherwise would. Um, at the time, we were making probably a thousand cases of sparkling wine. And we ended up, I think, making, we doubled it. We made 2,500 cases of sparkling wine. And it was a good use for a big crop. And at least we had money, you know, right. money in the bank. Right. Um, we knew we could make amazing sparkling wine. So we made this amazing sparkling wine and part of making sparkling wine is you need to freeze juice um, to later be used in the, in the spring to grow up the yeast. They're going to um, conduct that second fermentation. Right. And so rather than freezing 50 gallons or 25 gallons at the time, I froze um, unknowing. I, fr I froze like a hundred gallons of juice. I just kept it as sort of um, um, a, a still wine, but, literally turned it into blocks of ice in chest freezers. And that turned out to be a bit more than what we really needed. And I found myself with about a barrel's worth, about 60 gallons of, of, of juice left over in May. Okay. And well, what am I going to do with 60 gallons of juice? I'm going to ferment it. I'm going to make wine out of it. That's what I did you know, six months before, seven months before. Um, and then I thought, why don't I put this through malolactic? It's a base wine. It's Pinot. Why don't I put it through malolactic? Let's see what happens. Right. So I barrel fermented it, um, as I do all my base wines. And then I just, after, you know, primary fermentation, I just let it, I just said, I'm just going to let it be. And let's let these beautiful little, uh, bacteria that are all over the place. Let's let them go to work on the wine and convert that malic acid into lactic acid. And let me just see what happens. The worst thing that could have happened right there is that it wouldn't taste that good. No big deal. I carry the wine over into the next year and blend it away. Right. The best thing that could happen is I could learn something amazing. And so I put it through malolactic and tasted it after it was done. And I just said, there is just something amazing about this. Like, there's, I don't understand why someone would tell me you can't do this or you shouldn't do this. Um, this to me tastes like another layer of complexity. Um, and then it's, I said, well, 
it's only May, June, maybe July at that point. Um, and I have this year old base wine, you know, from the previous year. Well, what, what am I going to do with it? It tastes really good. Well, why don't I put it in the back of the cave and see what it does for the next couple months? Again, rather than re-fermenting it, right, blending right. it away, why don't I just keep it? Right. Um, so I put it in the back of the cave and I tasted it through harvest and it kept getting more interesting and more interesting and more interesting. And then I started thinking, why don't I add some other really interesting pieces to this collection? Maybe some that haven't gone through malolactic, maybe some Chardonnay. And why don't I see if I can create something interesting here? And at, at the time, I honestly didn't really have a destination for those wines. I knew something interesting was going to come from it, but I didn't know what. And so, but it wasn't until 2017. So I'd had, you know, multiple vintages here to, to stockpile right. interesting pieces of Chardonnay and Pinot base wines. Um, they were all from Mineral Springs at that point. Um, and the stockpile had grown, um, to the point of somewhat of an inconvenience, to be honest, because it's, it's extra work, you know, you're, right. you got to take care of these wines. Um, and then it was in the summer of 2017 before the vintage, uh, before the harvest had started that Tony had told me he was buying this new vineyard and, um, he had, recently asked me to stop ask is a nice word to stop making uh the blanc de noise um and had proposed that we make a um a multi-vineyard wine and i didn't understand what he was talking about but he's like well i'm working on buying this new vineyard and you could make base wines from mineral springs as you normally do right and you could make base wines from this beautiful property Ila amity that i'm working on and that was really fascinating to me. And it was, again, I probably blacked out. So, you know, it was just one of those things. The words probably came out of my mouth, right. whether I wanted them to or not. And I just said, well, what would you think about if it was a multi-vintage wine as well? And that was the, um, again, another aha moment. And Tony kind of looked at me. He's like, how would we do that? And I just said, well, uh, I, I, think I, I think I need to confess. Like, I think, <laughs> I hope this is an amnesty period. Mm -hmm. Um Again, to his absolute credit, um, his only response was, go get a wine thief and let's taste. And um, we spent, well, when Tony and I taste, sometimes time stops existing, oh, if you sure. know what I mean. Yes. Um, yeah. Clearly, it's still going, but it's not in, not in our little microcosm at, the, no. at that point in time. So we went into the caves and just tasted barrel by barrel and just let the creative juices flow. And, um, the conversation was amazing. Um, and I think we both knew at that point in time, we had, uh, again, I don't want to say stumbled because we weren't stumbling, but we had come from different directions and ended up in this crossroads of amazingness. And, um, we both looked at each other and just said, we can definitely do something here. Like this is, this is going to be fun. Yeah. This is going to be, incredible. It's a lot, it's, it's going to be a lot more work, but, um, I've never shied away from that. Um, and, um, it still, again, feels a little bit like a dream, um, that I was able to be a part of the genesis of what I think is maybe our most interesting sparkling wine. And I have to say it's fabulous. Thank I, you. you're welcome. It, uh, I read the story that it came out 
I delayed, delayed, delayed. It's like, oh, I got to get up and see if I can get a, get a bottle. And so finally at, uh, I heard at IPNC last year that, you know, that it was, it was around and I'm like, Ooh, I gotta go find it. And I couldn't find it. And then finally got my first taste of it at, um, at Friday night salute. And I'm like, Oh, and December I came up and, and, and got a few bottles. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad it got in your hands. I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. why I make wine. Yeah, for no, people it, to drink it. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's gorgeous. And now you have my phone number, so you can just <laughs> shoot me a text, and I'll I'll make sure you get. I'll put a couple balls aside for you. Um, yeah. So that was the you know that was the sort of the inaugural uh, blend. We're calling it. I think version one. Right. It's it's a non vintage wine. It's not a non vintage wine. It's a multi vintage wine. Um, it's a multi vineyard and multi vintage, and I like multi vintage. Because it, um, there's intention to the different vintages. Right. Non-vintage to me is is almost um, a blurring over of vintages, and this isn't a blurring over. This is a, a again an intentional inclusion of whatever vintages we want, whatever vintages we have, in any particular amount. Um, it gets really complicated. I I can only um, imagine. And we were talking about. You know, we both have kids and, um, I didn't again, realize this at the time, but raising those wines is a little bit like raising kids. Now my kids are only seven. Um, but someday I'm going to have to let them go out into the big world. It's the same with the wines. Right. Um, I've grown attached and I continue to grow attached to every single one of these wines and it becomes particularly difficult to talk myself into using them because once I use a barrel of whatever 2015 uh, Blanc de Noir or right. uh, 2018 Mineral Springs Block 18, that barrel's gone. Yeah. Never to exist again. Um, it's for the greater good that I've chosen it and putting it into a blend, but um, part of me is a little bit sad that, um, uh, especially um, when it, that wine is now completely gone. If I had three barrels and I've used all three, that's, that's it. Right. They're just memories at this point. Um, and so it's fun to, to, you know, to, to taste the wines and to recall, um, which wines I put in there, especially from the reserve. Yeah, no, I, I, I can imagine. And you briefly mentioned about being politely asked to stop on the Blanc de Noir. But if I remember the story correctly, you, you, you were tasting the, the Blanc de Noir, Tony was walking by and you're like, Hey, Tony, come, come, come here, come here. And he's like, and you're like, you got to taste this. And Tony tasted it. It's like, no, it's crap. Shut it down. <laughs> he was a little politer, more polite than that, but you, you, you hit the nail on the head and it was actually in this room. And so, um, you, you guys can't see it, but just outside of these doors, he was walking by right here and I was tasting wines and he peeked in and he's just like, yeah, what are you up to? And I'm like, I'm tasting, you know, young sparkling wines that were entourage, you know, completed secondary fermentation. And it's good to check in on the personalities. I like to, um, stay in touch with the wines as much as I possibly can. And, um, I poured it for him and I thought it was pretty amazing. It was exuberant. Pinot right. is a very exuberant grape, especially when it's young. Yes. Uh, that was mistake. Number one. I just shouldn't have, I should have just said, you know, I'll let you know in a, in a, in a year or two, you know, maybe, maybe let's, um, let's come back to this. Um, but it was, it was very exuberant and he was, um, he was pretty blunt with, um, the fact that he thought no one was going to like this wine. 
Right. And, um, that hit me pretty hard. Like that was, I'm an, I'm an emotional person. Um, I think that's part of my success of wine making is that, um, I make wines not in a vacuum, but with a lot of emotion. Right. And, um, that was, um, that was a, a bit of a tough blow but that, um, what I thought was really amazing. He, Tony Soder, who has a lot more experience, um, than I do, had, didn't have any confidence in it. And, um, and, and I don't, I'm not saying he's wrong, right? Because at the, at that time he very well could have been right. Right. And from his perspective, and, um, it was hard for me to swallow, but I did, I, I said, okay, yeah. no problem. Um, again, had he never done that, we never would have created this brute X. We never would have made it to this point. So that little bit of pain led to something pretty amazing. Now it all came back. There's full, it's full circle. Yes. Um, and I think that's the really the really happy part of the story is that, um, fast forward, well, it, it, again, it took another sad event in 2019. Um, Tony's partner, right. um, Michelle, uh, Soder passed away and she, you know, had, had a long struggle with cancer and, um, it was really, really to say it was sad is a, again, um, That's it's not, not putting it correctly. Yeah. Um, it was, it was, it was bizarre just because, Everything I knew of Soder Vineyards was with Michelle here. Of course. And um, now she wasn't. She had right. started the next journey, you know? Um, and she was, um, well, we made sparkling wines because of her. And she unfortunately passed away just a few days before the sparkling wine harvest started in 2019, um, which was really tough. And it rained. Um, just, I think the day, the day of her passing, um, and gave us some new found motivation. Um, I just kind of came down to the team and said, you know, this happened, you know, um, we need to, to keep this in mind while we make these wines. Again, I like to make wines emotionally. I think it's, I think it's important. Right. Um, again, fast forward through the harvest, we made fantastic wines fantastic wines in 2019. Um, Tony, after a period of, uh, of mourning, um, had emailed myself and a few other people, um, and basically just said, you know, he wants to, um, he wants to honor Michelle's passing, you know, with a, at the, at the anniversary of her passing the following year and wants to release a sparkling wine in her honor. And we, had a bunch of 2011 because we made so much, we decided to keep some entourage. Um, and he's alluded to that. He's, you know, basically said this, I think this would be a great wine to, to release in her honor. And, um, I quickly, e I usually don't quickly email anybody back. You, you know, that <laughs> <laughs> I like to take my time and think about things. Um, right. And, but I emailed him back immediately. And, um, because I had that intuition, you know, that indescribable feeling. And I emailed him back and I just said, I know the wine to release in Michelle's honor. You know, first of all, I'm terribly sorry. Like, of course. I love the right. idea that you want to honor, um, you know, your, the passing of your wife, your partner, um, and, uh, this amazing person. Uh, but I know the wine to, to, to honor her, 
her passing. And I just said, um, it's this wine. And I wrote in here, just, you just can't say no until you let me pour it for you. Right. And that was a bit bold, but I was feeling bold that day. And, um, I felt it was also important to just say, just, just please let me pour it for you and taste it. Cause I had been tasting that wine. Again, I wasn't, I wasn't giving up on that wine. It was still in Tarage. I now also have a 2016 that had already been made. Right. Um, before the, the, the program was canceled. Um, he said, yes, I'll, I'll let you pour it for me. I'll, I'll keep an open mind. Um, I already knew I was going to be successful because the wine is extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary. It's so good. Um, at that point, I would say that I think it was the best sparkling wine I'd made and released up to that point. It hadn't been released yet, but it was, it was going to be, I knew it was going to be. Um, and so I poured it for him and to my absolute pleasure, he said, absolutely. This is, this is incredible. And, um, he, I wish I had a bottle of it here. I don't, but, um, he, he had a, a, um, an artist design, a really beautiful label for it, a special label for this, um, it, it was an inaugural lace. We'd never made a Blanc de Noir. Right. And obviously it served an e even deeper purpose because it was representing, um, this amazing person. And, um, we poured it at this remembrance party and, um, I've never felt so proud of one of my wines. I even for the first time got a hug from Tony. Oh my gosh. And that was that was incredible too. That, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> that is great. Wow. I'm not a huge hugger, but, um, it was a really meaningful moment that we shared. And, um, it was, it was incredible to think about, you know, we, we all someday are going to pass. We're all going right. to die. Um, and I, I told him, I said, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing that you're honoring her passing with such a nice bottle of wine. I'll be lucky if anyone honors my existence with a wine half this good. Uh, yeah. But it, uh, it, it came full circle. And um, because of that, again, because it was, it was canceled, we created the Brut X. And then now the, Brut, uh, the Blanc de Noirs, uh, it's back. Yeah. Um, we released the 2015. It was just maybe 150 cases, so pretty small bottling. Um, I have a 2016 Entourage which we will release someday. We'll, we'll take our time. Um, and then the next one in line would be a 2020, a 2020, a 2021. And, uh, next week we'll be working on the 2022. Wow. Um, so that's, that's been pretty amazing as well just to, to see, to be a part of, um, the genesis of a, an incredible wine with an incredible, um, both meaning and story behind it. Yeah. No, the, the, Again, I think it just goes to show that everything with Soder has so much depth and intention and, and beauty behind it. It's just, um, I, I can only imagine being in your shoes and having that, that, that ability that I don't, I don't, I don't know. It just, it's, it's, it's gotta be it's, very fulfilling as a human. It, and it's, it is, it, it has, um, it has its moments. There's also an incredible amount of stress involved with it. And that's yeah. the, that's the part that people don't get to understand. You know, I, um, what people see, what the consumer sees is, is how the wine tastes. Right. And I'm happy they taste good and, um, 
been um, blessed with um, more than my my fair share of good reviews and um, great acceptance, you know, from our uh, our fan base. And um, but what goes into it is um, uh, an incredible, incredible amount of stress. Um, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm willing to do it. Um, again, you know, we were talking about you know, channeling my demons. Um, it's a good place for them to go. Um, it's a good outlet, um, for myself. Right. And, um, what comes from that stress is me getting to pour wine for people and seeing people's, uh, smiles, seeing how much people love it. And that is, um, it's worth twice as much as the stress. It's, it's, it's incredible. I live for it. Um, I generally try to, to be at every, every point I possibly can for that very reason. It's, it's not a burden for me. It's, it's what completes the circle. I love seeing people drink the wine. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I get to count myself as a, is yeah, a very, very lucky person. Very lucky. Uh, in that regards. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and you're lucky in so many regards. Uh, one question that I had, that's just, you have overcome so many obstacles. You're such a hard worker and it sounds like that you want to own your own vineyard, but you're like, kind of stuck. Oh, I think it's just the price of a vineyard is all oh, I, I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to own my own vineyard. I would, uh, I wish I had a rich uncle, but I don't, right. um, yeah, I would. Um, I wouldn't stop making wine here, just to be completely. Oh no, clear. no, no, no! I no. love my opportunity here to make wine. Is um, it's extraordinary. It really is. Uh, I probably use that word too much, but I mean it. Um, I would love to own a vineyard. I would love to own a vineyard, grow some grapes, um, and turn them into wine, just like I do here. Would probably just do it for Soder Vineyards. Um, right. But the reality is, is that land has become almost unobtainable, at least for the, the me, I'm not a wealthy person, right, just right. be honest. I, um, I have a wealth of knowledge. I have a wealth of talent, but I don't have a wealth of money. And, um, unfortunately that's the way you buy vineyards is with, with the green stuff. Um, yeah. so, uh, but whether or not it happens, I think that's up to the universe. And I would say if it's meant to happen, it will. And if it's not, it won't. Yeah. Well, it's, you've had a very, um, You've been, you've, you've had a lot of good things come your way. No, no doubt about it. And, yeah. um, and I'm sure it'll, yeah. it will happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I think it would be, again, um, I'd get to fulfill that, that sort of, um, the inner desire. Like I right. definitely, I, I feel it every day. Um, I, I work, I get, and again, I get to work with some amazing amazing vineyards. Um, uh, we have, uh, around a hundred acres of vines and none of them are shabby. Oh, yeah, They're all no incredible. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really fortunate there, but it is, it would be a different experience to be, um, well, the, the owner, the proprietor of even a small vineyard. Right. Um, it couldn't be a very big vineyard because I'm not looking for a second full-time job. Oh no, you, you, no, you, 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 with two seven-year-olds and being in charge yeah. of these. But I understand. I mean, just having having that be yours is there's that, yeah. there's something to that. Yeah, I think it would be. Um, 
there would just be the possibility to, for discovery, you right. know, um, mm-hmm. I could take all the knowledge, uh, that I've, that I've learned, um, all the, all the intuition and apply it, um, in how I think the best way to grow grapes would be. Right. And, um, yeah, that is a little different than, uh, what we do at mineral Springs. It would be slightly different. I would, um, um, probably be inclined to, to plant it a little differently. It would be to Pinot and Chardonnay, probably Chardonnay first. Right. Um, as I just adore, I love making Chardonnay. I love it. Um, I love making Pinot. I love making sparkling wine, but Chardonnay is, it has a very, very special place in my heart and I would love to have a Chardonnay vineyard. Um, and yeah, it would just be an incredible opportunity to see what I could truly do with my own piece of ground planted by myself. Right. Again, I get to make all the wines here. I get to make all of the decisions other than the exact way to plant them. And that part I think is not insignificant. Right. No, I, I, I totally agree. Oh, I have a couple rapid fire questions. Go for it. Get you out of here. Do you want, do you need rapid answers? If you want to, it's totally up to you. <laughs> That's like my arch nemesis. I'm the, I, I probably annoy, um, those that work for me because I like to think about things and people will ask me questions and I was in my mind decide, well, does this need an answer right now? And if the answer is no to that, then I'm going to take my time and I'll tell you tomorrow. Yeah. But I'll do my best. Okay. Very cool. Uh, favorite artist to listen to during harvest. Musician Enya, yeah. easy. I, I Enya. figured. That. I love Enya. I saw the um, the Spotify open playlist. Yeah, and there was like four or five Enyas that were. Oh, I, I I absolutely adore Enya. Um, I I hope someday I get to meet Enya because I'd like to tell her how much how she, how much she's helped me make great wine. She doesn't know that right now. Okay, we well, gotta she'll, find a way. Maybe she'll watch this. You well, know? I I'll, yeah. I need to create a clip and yeah. Like, Tagger in it. Yeah. Reach out, Enya. Uh, yeah. Come taste wines with me. You know? uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I listen to Enya a lot. I mean, okay. yesterday I was here at five in the morning. We, we bottle our own wines. We have our own bottling line. So I was here at five getting the bottling line ready by myself. Um, and um, I was listening to A Day Without Rain, uh, which is a beautiful album. If you never listened to it, I highly recommend it. it is To say it's peaceful, again, is an understatement. It, I think Enya transcends... Um, sort of, I don't even know what to call her. She's Enya. Okay. I don't even think, she, I don't even think you can describe her music. I think she's just Enya. That's a great so, category to be so in. So quick answer, Enya. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, your favorite indulgent food? Ooh, favorite indulgent food. Um, well, I had a really nice pastrami sandwich before coming here. Um, I don't know if that's indulgent. Uh, I suppose time and place. Um, yeah. I, 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 I really like pastrami. Um, Beyond that, any Mexican food, honestly, okay. any Mexican food. Um, indulgent to me is more so kind of, do I really need this? And right. um, beyond just average lunch, it's like having the flan after, <laughs> you know, some amazing, um, amazing chili rellenos or something like oh. that. And it's like, do I need that flan? No, but nope. I sure like it. Exactly. Yeah. That- that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, if you could choose a superpower, what would it be? Um, oof, I've, uh, maybe telekinesis. Okay. Yeah. Um, just thinking like making, making wine, 
You know, if I could move things without having to, that would be, if I could, if I could reach over and have hoses come to me, oh, wow, my, my life would be a little bit easier. So, uh, yeah, I'd probably go with t- telekinesis. Um, mind control gets a little too potential for darkness. It and, does. uh, yeah. I probably wouldn't want to enable myself this way. This is a Slytherin talking here. So, you know. <laughs> uh, so on that note, who is your favorite superhero? Oh, you know, I'm not really a fan of superheroes to be honest. Um, that's fair. Yeah, I don't, that, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Um, X Men are probably. I, I once upon a time really liked the X Men. Um, okay. You know, prof, prof, uh, Professor Xavier, but again, he's mind control. Right. Um, he's probably my favorite. Um, trying to think who did telekinesis. Um, Jean Grey. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know the answer. I don't know. That's I'm not why a big that's... superhero fan. Okay. Yeah. Um, harvest notes. Are they digital or handwritten? Uh, both. Both. Okay. Yeah. Um, most of them are just in my head. I used to write everything, everything right. down. And I think I would give that advice to anybody getting into this is write everything down. Right. Um, I'm the crazy type of person who, strives to memorize it and just say, well, if it's that important, I'll memorize it. Um, now I definitely have diligent notes as far as chemistries go, but honestly, I rarely look at them. Um, I will look at them at significant points in time. If I taste the wine and say, wow, what did I, what did I do there? You know, um, notes will tell you a little bit about it. Um, but again, I try to rely upon intuition. That's fair. That's fair. Um, last book you read, it could be, you know, actual physical book or audio book, or you could choose a podcast if you want to. It's been a while since I read a book, to be honest. Um, I, well, this isn't the last one I read. Do you mind if I change the subject? Or the, no, go okay. for it. Yeah. Um, I was just talking about this the other day and I read it just a little while ago for, um, probably the fifth or sixth time is the monkey ranch gang. Okay. Um, as well, the desert solitaire. So Edward Abbey is, um, absolute favorite favorite author nice and um they don't really have anything to do with wine other than i think desert solitaire is very much poetry daily poetry i'll have to check that out yeah incredible okay all right well that's all the questions that i have wonderful sorry i didn't answer the last one very well but no uh, that that was a great answer no that was good they would have i would have had to have come back to you on that one so (laughs) (laughs) no it 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 is all good Uh, there is the blind wine do you want to Take us, it, and it's up to you. If you want to take a stab, you're welcome to. Well, I can smell that it's red. Uh, yeah, it is a red. Yeah. <laughs> Were you looking for a smart ass answer? Smart ass. That's what comes most naturally to me. No, that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I would have another sip of it. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's uh, it's it's definitely drinkable. It um, is. I'm uh, I'll be completely honest. I am not somebody who um, describes wines a lot. That's fine. That's fine. Um, wine is more of a feeling I, than it is of um, you know, butterfly wings on a dewy morning, right? Um, sort of thing. Yep. But, yep. No. So I, I tried to pick something that might have some connection with you. 
And so this is um, mm. a 2016 Harper Oh, nice from, job, Drew. Yeah. Uh, from Antiqua. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, he did a nice job here. It's got a real rustic nose to it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's got that other factor going. Yeah. No, I thought in, you know, in biodynamics with Antiquum and soda, I thought it, you know, kind of fit together pretty well. When did you open this bottle? Uh, let me see. I was coming out here at 2.30. I opened it around 1.30. Beautiful. Yeah. It's pretty expressive. Yeah. Yeah. would say compliments to... So Mr. Drew Void on that. That's, yeah. a, that's a good bottle of wine. Yeah, no, it is a no very doubt. good bottle. Yeah. Yeah, he's been working with this vineyard for quite some time. Um, yeah. I remember him telling me about it. This would have been way back in, shoot, it might have been 2010 or maybe even before that. So, um, yeah, Drew Drew has always got a special place in my heart oh, uh, yeah. for a lot of different reasons. I, th yeah. I don't think I'm alone in that. But, no, um, no, no. He, he's, and he, he's, he's an a amazing wine guy. Maker. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy. Mm. All right. Well, cheers. Cheers to Mr. Drew here. That's a good wine. Yes. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really My appreciate pleasure. it.